Welcome to Calvary. However you found us and wherever you find yourself, we are so glad that you've chosen to spend a, a few minutes with us. You, you are so very welcome. We, we are on message number two of a series on the story of Jonah that we're calling A Lot Can Happen in Three Days because the hero of this story is a father, a father God with a whale of a heart who is always pursuing us in love. So I asked this question last week, do you really believe that God loves you? Because my, my deepest hope for this series that, is that each of us will more deeply believe that God loves us. I want us to know his love and, and experience his love and rest in his love and find peace in the reality that you are, you are, you really are relentlessly loved with an indiscriminate affection. Ted Turner, you may remember that name. He's the founder of CNN, TBN, TBS, a whole bunch of three-letter words, and, and the one-time owner of the Braves and the Hawks. Once upon a time, when he was a kid, he wanted to be a missionary. But watching his sister die after suffering for five years from a rare form of lupus and then having his father commit suicide less than 10 years later, well, since then, he has said some pretty interesting things about God. Everything from Christianity is for losers to a more recent quote on prayer where he said, sure, I, I pray when my friends are sick. I say a mini prayer just in case someone is listening. In between those statements, he once said, I, I believe that this life is all we have. I'm not doing what I'm doing to be rewarded in heaven or punished in hell. I'm doing it because it's the right thing to do. Almost every religion, he said, talks about a Savior coming. When you look in the mirror in the morning, <laughs> you're looking at your Savior, <laughs> which is it's kind of scary because I see morning me in the mirror and I'm like, what the heck happened to you? So who is your God? You know, so many today have a theology that some describe as moral therapeutic deism. In other words, moral, God wants you to be nice. Therapeutic, God wants us to be happy. And deism really means other than that, he's pretty much hands off. And, and those are three fairly common pictures of God today. No God, there's no God, or I'm God, or distant God. Is that what you're looking for? A God who provides and protects but doesn't intrude or demand or meddle? If so, listen, that's not Jonah's God. Jonah's God gets up close and personal in our face and in our junk, and, and he's not safe. He's good, but he's not safe. He's our savior, but he's not safe. He has a purpose, a, a calling for your life, but his ultimate priority is not our mere safety. Gary Hogan, founder of International Justice Mission, imagines a moment after we have poured into our kids all the good food and shelter and clothing, provided them with a, a great education and love, after we've worked so hard to provide every good thing, they, they turn to us and ask, well, why have you given all of this to me? And if we're honest, our, our answer is something like, so you'll be safe. And he imagines, he says, and, and my kid looks up at me and says, really, that's it? You want me to be safe? Your grand ambition for my life is that nothing bad happens. And, and I think he says something inside of them and that moment dies and they go away to perish in safety or, or they go looking for adventure in the wrong places. The, the word of God comes to Jonah. It's a calling. God has a purpose for Jonah's life, a great but not safe assignment. But Jonah runs. So you remember? God sends a storm, not out of anger, but affection to, to stop Jonah's running because you can't run from 
your call without running from your caller. And, and that really leads us to the most famous chapter in Jonah's story. Some might call it the tale of a whale, but it wasn't really a whale, so I'll just call it a whale of a tale. God sent a great storm. That, that word great is in there all over the place, remember? God sent a great storm. The sailors were afraid. They called out to their gods. And long story short, Jonah confessed that his running was the cause of the storm. And he told them that the only way to get out alive, for them to get out alive, was to throw him overboard. So the sailors did everything they could to get to shore, but in the end, they had to throw Jonah overboard. And chapter one ends with these words, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, now come on, you, you don't have to be a hardcore atheist to read this and kind of scratch your head like, yeah, I don't know, I don't really, Dan, do you really think that? really actually happened? I mean, I've heard of men that went fishing, but I've never heard of a fish that went manning in three days. Are you serious? So here's the deal. If you're struggling with the idea that there could actually be a fish big enough to eat a man, I got just two words for you, Shark Week. I remember the first time I watched Shark Week, probably decades ago, we were at the beach with our kids, whole new adventure then. And of course, if you want to go way back in time, there was the prehistoric Megalodon, a great white on steroids, about 52 feet long. And of course, either scenario really requires Jonah to be in pieces. But, but it's an honest question. Did this really happen or is it just a story with a moral, a spiritual truth attached to it, like the parables that Jesus told? Now listen, there's nothing wrong with questions or doubts. A church without walls, which is what we're trying to build, that kind of church isn't afraid of hard questions or sincere doubts. And while safety is not our primary call, this is. We want this to be a, a safe place to ask hard questions. But I'm, I'm actually not going to invest a lot of time in trying to convince a, a science-shaped culture that it could happen. There, there are prehistoric fish in mysterious ways that a fish could swallow a guy whole and, and he can survive the digestive juices. In fact, I read some deal somewhere about some guy that kind of did something like that. And you know what? Absolutely none of that has ever been confirmed. Most of it has been directly refuted. But, but do you understand? That's not the point of this story. The point of this story is it's not a whale, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. And in fact, at one point in his life, Jesus will compare this story to his story. He compares his story with the story of Jonah. He says, Jonah's story is a sign of what God is going to do in and through me. So trying to explain Jonah's story with natural explanations of archaeological findings of dinosaur-sized fish is like trying to explain the resurrection of Jesus as mass hypnosis or, or physical revival from the horror of the cross because of the cool of the tomb. And the point is, it's a miracle. So the real question is, are miracles possible? Is it possible that the God of the universe could directly intervene in the world? Is it possible that the creator could create again for just this one purpose? See, at the heart of our faith is this claim that there is a great and all-powerful God, and he raised Jesus from the dead. And you know what? If he can raise Jesus from the dead, maybe a big fish is not that big a deal. This was a fish miracle, <laughs> Because of God's great heart, with his great power, he sent the great fish to save Jonah. And, and it was a GPS miracle that that fish would be at the right place at the right time. And a digestive miracle that Jonah could live three days in a fish belly. It's a, it's a miracle. And, and miracles require faith. And while I don't apologize for the necessity or the wonder of faith, 
Let's just make sure that our faith is pointed in the right direction. So we're, we're not trying to point our faith to archaeological expeditions or, or medical explanations or good timing or big fish. Instead, Jonah directs our faith to a great God who is greater than every, every great thing. And I'm telling you, he is greater. He's greater than every great storm that sweeps through your life, greater than the forces of nature threatening to swallow you whole, greater than an evil culture, evil cities. He's greater. In fact, did you notice from sailors to storms to fish to evil cities, everyone and every great thing in the story of Jonah surrenders to this great God except for Jonah. Jonah runs. And yet because of his great heart, God sends a fish. A great fish appointed, (laughs) commanded by a greater God. (laughs) I got to be honest, I would not have chosen a fish. When we cry out, God, save me, we, we usually cry out with stipulations, right? Like, God, please save me, but do it like this. And we have all these details about how we want God to say, here's how I would do it if I were you, God. I know I'm not and I can't, but please save me my way. But God sent a fish which really leads to Jonah's be still moment. Remember those words, be still and know that he is God? Psalm 46, during COVID, when we couldn't meet in person for a year, I said we have two tasks, two two challenges during this season. Love your neighbor and be still and know that he is God. And and honestly, that's that's at the very heart of this story. It's it's the essence of this story. God tells Jonah, I want you to love your Assyrian neighbors, (laughs) your enemies, and I want you to be still and know that I am God. And remember in Psalm 46, verse 10, when God says, be still and know that I am God, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted throughout the whole earth. The whole earth. It, be still doesn't mean be quiet. It means pay attention. Stop striving. Let your hands grow slack. Stop grasping. Stop trying to control. It means surrender. Stop running. Quit trying to control your life and surrender your life to me, God says. If you don't stop running and start paying attention and you're going to hit those fish belly days. Look at Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. It says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, and yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head to the roots of the mountains. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, you brought my life up from the pit. That's a summary of of Jonah's prayer for three days and three nights. This is Jonah's be still moment. All alone with God, he's forced to pay attention to God. And listen, for each and every one of us, whether it's on this side of death or the other side, someday the running will cease and we will pay attention to God. The question is, will I require a fish belly to get there? And fish belly days are not fun. In fact, Jonah gets pretty descriptive, right? Helpless, 
In my distress, I called out for help. You hurled me into the depths. I was engulfed and overwhelmed and isolated, deep in the realm of the dead. My life was in the pit. I mean, forget the fish for a moment. Can you imagine that kind of experience, days like that? Hurled deep, desperate distress, unseen, engulfed, sunk, helpless, hopeless, all alone, isolated. Which of those descriptions impact you the most? hurled, desperate. Maybe it's just being unseen. Jonah says, God, you banished me from your sight. Being unseen is so hard. And and this is what it's like in the belly of a fish. You're thinking, I, I got to get out of here. If I don't get out of here, I'm, I'm drowning in the darkness. I, I don't belong here. God, it's not working. I can't breathe. God, don't make me stay down here engulfed in all this junk. I won't make it. My sorrow is overwhelming. My anger is engulfing. My confusion is keeping me from life. God, see me. God save me. It's a description of those days. Some days there's just no way up but God. Sometimes God sends fish belly days to save us. Now, I'm not talking about the storm that sent you overboard. Sometimes the storms come into our life because of our own choices. Sometimes they come through the choices of others. And, and sometimes it's just a stinking stormy world. I'm, I'm not talking about the storm. I'm talking about the fish. I'm talking about what God sent to save Jonah. I'm talking about those dark days of grief and isolation and darkness and pain and sorrow and pressure that come after the storm, after we cry out, God save me. I'm talking about the dark night of the soul, as St. John of the Cross called it. You realize God might have sent those days to you to save you? See, sometimes our salvation, our hope, our joy restored, life can only come on the other side of the darkness and distress and silence and this engulfing grief and trouble because in those times we fully realize we we have no way up but to cry out. And, And I know, man, nobody would choose those days. I sure wouldn't. But see, in those fish belly days, we tend to unplug from the distractions. We start to pay attention to God because nothing else matters more than just getting through this. So nothing matters more than crying out. There's no text that matters enough for a response. There's no social media worth checking. There's no one to call because nothing matters more than the soothing presence and saving power of God. And listen to me, you're not meant to live there. Those those days, they're an in-between. If you've been there for more than a season, it might be because... You haven't yet cried out to God. But but in the darkness, at the depths of the sea, man, something wondrous can happen, this sacred change. We we cry out to God and we find that he's there and he cares and and he's able. And so we, we start rising up. We start rising up. Our, our story turns like... Like Jonah's turns in verses 7 through 10 of Jonah 2, he says, when my, when my life was ebbing away, <laughs> it was almost over. I could see the end. My life was ebbing away, and I, I remembered you, Lord, and, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols, he says, turn away from God's love for them, God's love for them. But, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from from the Lord alone, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. See, our rising up from the depths, it starts with remembering. 
And, and what do I need to remember? See, remembering is a form of paying attention. I, I'm not talking about what we want to remember when we go through those days. What we want to remember is how life was before. Remember when I was at that place where I thought life would get better and better and better and better all the time, and I'd never experienced this kind of crud. What, what we want to remember is life up there, but what we need to remember is God. What we need to remember is Jesus, the heart of God with skin on. What, what we need to remember is this great and good God who's more powerful than the storm, this personal God with a heart that is greater than the sea, who regardless of how often we run, he pursues us with his persistent, passionate, lavishly reckless love. We remember God, and, and then we can't help it. We, we let the prayers rise up. I mean, just think about your life right now. Are, are our prayers rising up at Calvary? Are our prayers rising up? We, we've hit this time of, of prayer and fasting. Don't let it just be fasting alone. Are, are your prayers rising up? Are we praying with any sense of desperation, with any sense of earnestness, passionately Praying, am, am I travailing? Are we travailing in prayer? Praying for something new to be birthed? Am I praying like it matters? Am I praying like I have no hope unless God helps? See, I, I really think some of us pray like we hope there's a better answer than God. <laughs> it's like, well, God, I've, I've tried everything and nothing else has worked, so I guess I'm going to pray until I can think of something better to do. That's not praying like it matters. See, prayer is this open admission that, that without God, nothing that matters will happen. There's, there's a difference between believing that prayer is important and believing that prayer is essential, that, that the best of our heart's hope will not happen if we don't pray. Man, when we pray like it matters, it, it's the first thing you do and the only thing you can think of doing. It's the last thing we do because our hearts are convinced that there's no way up but God. And sometimes it only comes, the, the, the travailing prayer only comes when we feel the pain, when we experience the darkness. And it might be yours or actually it might be somebody else's pain. It doesn't matter. We just need to embrace it and stop running and hiding and medicating it away. Like, like Jesus wept over the city on Palm Sunday, we... We need to ask God for tears. You know what I found? Not all the time, because sometimes hard times don't make us better, they make us bitter. It all depends on whether or not we surrender. But I often find that those who go through those fish belly dark days, but they remember God and they call out to God, when, when they come out on the other side, they're, they're changed. It doesn't always happen, but when it does, it's, it's a beautiful thing. There's this renewed, gently passionate, radically humble, strong connection with God and, and this persevering hope and, and so often a, a greater capacity to love. And so many times I've sat down with someone who's been through a time like that and, and they remembered God and they called out in prayer and God did this softening, expanding, life-giving work in their hearts and, and they would say something like, I would never choose to go through that, but having gone through it, I'm closer to God than I've ever been. Or maybe something, I feel stronger in my spirit than I've ever felt or, or I have a greater capacity to love than I've ever had. And, and then they'll say something like this. And while I would never choose it, I would never trade it for anything. Listen, if you're going through fish belly days, and some of you are, some of you are going through difficult, dark night of the soul kind of times. You're at, at the bottom of the sea in the depths, but... But Jonah's story is a reminder that a lot can happen in three days. 
when we remember God and we cry out in prayer, we come to Jonah chapter 2, verse 10, where it says, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So three days later, Three days and three nights later, after being swallowed by the fish at the bottom of the sea, God ordered the fish to vomit Jonah out onto the beach. Some translations say spit. No, it was vomit. The fish hurled. I love imagining what Jonah looked like when he was vomited onto the beach, all covered in fish goo, because I don't think God did any appearance miracles. I think when Jonah came out of the fish belly, he looked like he had been inside a fish belly. (laughs) It reminds me of an Easter story. In fact, I just shared it last year about this woman who happened to be looking out her window one day and grew horrified to see her big German shepherd shaking the life out of a neighbor's rabbit. And their, their families had been quarreling with, with these neighbors. And, and this was, oh man, this was just going to make everything worse. And so she grabbed a broom. She ran outside and she's pummeling the dog with a broom until he drops the rabbit, which is now covered with dog spit and extremely dead. A plan begins to th- form in her brain. She lifted the rabbit with the end of the broom, brought it into her house, dumped its lifeless body into the tub, turned on the shower. She cleaned one side, rolled him over, cleaned the other side. She got her hair dryer out and blew the rabbit dry. And then using an old comb, she groomed the rabbit until it actually looked pretty good. And then when her neighbor wasn't looking, she hopped the fence, snuck across the yard and propped him up in his cage. There's no way she was taking the blame for this deal. An hour later, she hears screams coming from her neighbor's yard, blood-curdling screams. She ran outside pretending she didn't have any idea what was going on. What what happened? What happened? She asked innocently. Her neighbor came running to the fence, blood drained from her face. This rabbit, she blubbered, this rabbit, our rabbit died three days ago. We buried him and now he's back. (laughs) I just want to tell you, if, if you're going through those days, Fish belly days, man, you can spray it down and blow it dry and puff it up so that your life looks pretty good on the outside. Some of you are pretty good at that. But your address is still a fish belly at the bottom of the sea. And during those times, man, it is so easy for hope to begin to drain out of us. But, but what if what you're in is a three-day story? It's a three-day story and rescue is coming. Hope is on the way. All you got to do is cry out. You know, 2,000 years ago, there was another three-day story, a three-day story that changed the world, changed, changed my world. In fact, it was the story that Jonah's story previewed. 2,000 years ago, people began to put their hope in this rabbi named Jesus, and, and he was filled with truth and life and joy and this extremely radical peace. There wasn't an anxious bone in his body. He had this unshakable faith in Father God that was so real it was contagious, and people began to trust him. They began to put their hearts in his hands. They gave him their lives to fix and and they followed him and people began to live differently. They began to hope and love differently. And then one day, Roman soldiers nailed him on a cross and in this tragic, disgusting way, not only did he, but the whole world, the fish-belly darkness descended upon the whole world. But then a miracle happened. And you can't explain it by trying to go and find other resurrection stories or, or making up medical explanations for why Jesus might not have really been dead at all. It was a miracle. The power of God displayed in an empty tomb. And when Jesus came alive, hope was reborn. 
You know, we've said this before, the Bible is full of 40-day stories and three-day stories. Noah was in the ark for 40 days. Moses was on the mountain for 40 days preparing for the reception of the Ten Commandments. Jesus began his ministry with 40 days in the desert preparing for an intense spiritual battle. 40-day stories involve a call to do something, to persevere. It's not the exact number of days that count. It's more than a moment, but it's less than a lifetime. 40-day stories call us to endure in our doing and our preparation. But three-day stories have less doing and more desperation. They start in darkness where hope hangs by a slender thread. They're not a call to do something, but a realization that we need someone. Three-day stories require a hero, not us, to save the day. And man, when God is the hero, a lot can happen in three days. So don't lose hope. <laughs> it's never too late to be vomited into life. I've been at Calvary for almost 29 years, but my first church was in Grove City, Minnesota. It was a great, great first church. We, we doubled in size in our five years there, but, but when we left, the church kind of struggled, and there were some people who left, and some who were once good friends became not good friends. While we were there those five years, Lynn and I spent a lot of time with the youth. Good kids, man, they loved Jesus. They were fun. So probably the hardest part of leaving over the next couple of years was watching way too many of them walk away from God after we left. And one of those kids was Jeremy. Last week, out of the blue, he messaged me and said, hey, let's catch up. <laughs> we haven't talked in 30 years, almost 30 years. He's 45 years old now. He has six kids who all love Jesus. He's been a pastor, church planter, theology teacher at a mission school. Came from a great family. Man, had a personality kind of like my son Jake's, gentle, easygoing, loved God, cared about people. But, but little by little, he just he started walking away from God. He started running, started going to parties and drinking. By his senior year in high school, he's smoking pot, and that was like all he wanted to do. He graduated, moved away from home, and, and kept running from God. A, a year or so later, he started taking meth and cocaine and and before long, he was selling drugs to pay for his drugs. But, but that year, a cousin of his told him, man, you got to get out of this place. you got to get out of Wilmer, or, or you're not going to live much. Or you're not going to make it. He kind of blew it off, but God was pursuing him. And two weeks later, another cousin, Marcus, told him the same thing. And, and so he heard that. He packed up that night, left Wilmer, moved in with Marcus. But the second night they were together, they went out smoking pot and doing meth. And, and they left the place where they were at as high as could be, but as Jeremy tells the story, by the time they got home, the high had just mysteriously disappeared. And that night, Jeremy remembered God, and his prayers started to rise up. It was a turning point. Jeremy's dad had tracked him down and left him a letter. It wasn't a judgment, judgmental letter. It was a letter filled with love from his dad. Jeremy, I miss you. I love you. I hope you're okay. And while he was reading the letter, Jeremy said, suddenly the best feeling I've ever felt in my life just came over me. I looked up at my cousin. I said, do you feel Jesus here? He said to me, you too? Jeremy said, we both had this strong sense of the presence of Jesus all over us. We both started crying and we ended up praying and talking and reading the Bible till about three in the morning. Jeremy's been on fire for Jesus ever since. It was his time. <laughs> The darkness vomited him up into the love of Father God. 
I know this will sound odd, not just counterintuitive, but just strange. See, I think in, at least in part, that's what these last few years have been all about. It's been fish belly days, but all along we've been pursued by the relentlessly reckless love of Father God's great heart. We, we thought it was a hard time, but it was actually the fish God sent to save us. You know, my whale of a tale for, For a number of years, God has been teaching me how his lavish, relentless love drives out fear and it gives birth to hope. And actually teaching is way too tame a word. Teaching is classrooms and coffee shops and libraries where the worst thing that can happen is you have to pull an all-nighter. It's not that. It even goes beyond training because training suggests there's something I could do. Those are 40-day stories when in reality I just needed to be rescued. I could call it shaping, like God is shaping me to be a vessel for his heart. But let's be honest, that's far too polite. Shaping is when you go to a gym for a touch-up. For these last three years and even beyond that, the last eight years, God has been doing demolition, rescue work in my heart. And, and it's all been in response to the prayer of my heart for the last eight years or so. A decade ago, the prayer I prayed all the time was, God, would you put me in the place where you can use me the best? And I would have went to Nineveh in a heartbeat. <laughs> I've always had this deep desire to be used by God for great things. But then through a a time of transition, a dark night of the soul, God changed my prayer to God, would you put me in the place where you can love me the best? And sometimes, listen to me, this is so important, the place where God can love us the best, that place, sometimes that place is in the belly of a fish at the bottom of the sea. Because he is a great God who is able to put us in the place where he can love us the best. I just want to pray for you. I want to pray for each and every person, especially those right now who are going through those fish belly days. I just want to pray that in some way, God will touch your heart and let you know in a way that's personal to you that he loves you and he's actually putting you right now in the place where he can love you the best. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for each and every person listening. God, thank you for your love. Your love is never failing. It is unending. It is so huge. You can love the whole world and love me personally, love each and every person personally to the very depths of their being. God, you're not disappointed in us. You'd have to be surprised by what we do and who we are to be disappointed. You know everything about us and you love us. You sent Jesus because you love us. You sent Jesus to show us the full extent of your love for us. I pray especially for people who feel like they're in fish belly days. Something is engulfing them. They feel banished from your sight. They feel like life will never be the same again and all they can do is remember the good old days. But God, I I pray with all my heart that they would remember you and that their prayers would rise up and that in response, God, would you pour out, would you pour out your love upon them personally? Let them know (laughs) the greatness of your heart for them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.